I stopped locking your ass alone when you got on that bitch and started crying, you fucking soft ass nigga. Shut that soft ass shit up. All that soft talking. I know you can do it, man. You got the, you got the. Let's shut that soft ass shit up. Man. You ain't with me. Man! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Grab it again, hey, son. I, grab it again. Grab it again. We ain't even talking about now. What you talking about? How big you It's fat. Grab that. Allegedly said that you left him in a bloody poke. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. he was high. It said that uh, that was on his private jet or something like that. Yo. Whoa. Yeah, that was pretty serious. So if you love boxing, you will love the the PBC Showtime card from Saturday. Um, I just think from top to toe, that was that was what boxing fans want, and that's what boxing fans deserve, right? And you had a main event that delivered. Um, I think it continues the trend of undisputed fights happening and willing combatants. Funny how every other division seems willing to do the undisputed fight apart from the heavyweights, right? So who's doing business with who and who's getting left out? I think we draw the conclusion that in this case, Hearn is definitely the problem. But in what was a positive night for boxing, and like I said, PBC never afraid to put their, their money guys in harm's way, right? And... You've got to love that. Now, I'm not going to say Jamal Charlo's 1-5-4 run was Canelo-esque in terms of starting with Ryan Rhodes and working your way through Angulo, Cotto, and so forth. No, it's not quite there yet. But he's fighting a lot of guys in their prime. So the defeat to Tony Harrison, probably a testament to that. Harrison, massively underrated. I think he trades at a discount in terms of how boxing fans view him. Castano... For an undisputed fight, this makes sense. The draw with Erislandi Lara tells you what level he operates at, right? So when you look at that and you go, why are the Americans able to do this yet the Brits can't? What is it we're afraid of? I don't know, but I enjoyed the fight. Like a, I fell asleep partway through it, but that's just tiredness. And then I caught up with it on Sunday and that was fantastic. I didn't think it would split the world the way that it did. I mean, a lot of people calling the scoring an absolute disgrace. We've been here before, right? And we've definitely been here on Texas shows and we've been here on PBC shows where you know if something's in Texas, the away fighter's got a hell of a hard time trying to win that. So who do I think won? I think the draw was a fair result. And here's why. Charlo seemed to take Brian Castano lightly. That, that's what it felt like to me. It felt like Charlo was fighting as if he thought, I'm going to get this guy out of here. He's not doing the distance. And I think that's always a dangerous tactic to rely on that punch. We talk about it with Deontay Wilder, where it's how many rounds do you want to give up? Because you'll start to sweat towards the end, and then you've got to go chasing the knockout, and you leave yourself vulnerable. Watch the first quarter of that fight. Those first three rounds... Castano could do nothing with Charlo in the middle of the ring. Charlo was just picking him off with that one-two. One-two through the guard, jab right hand round the guard. He was, he was boxing intelligently, but not doing enough of it. Like, he wasn't deterring Brian Castano. But Jamal Charlo has the power to do that. And it'll be interesting to know what Derek James's tactics were, because with guys like Castano, you've got to hit them three or four times, and you've definitely got to go to the body, or they don't respect you. I thought in the first quarter of the fight, there was far too much of the, of the one-twoing and the, I'll call that posing boxing. I know people say it's fundamental 
fundamentally good boxing, okay? But what you're really doing is one, two, and then you're leaving it. But you're leaving money on the table. And so what happened over time was, as Charlo got more comfortable, he got complacent in the fight. And he started to retreat to the ropes in the hope that he could find that space to land one of those counter uppercuts or straight rights that he's known for. But Castano said, the minute you go against the ropes, I'm just going to flood you with work. He was cuffing him, wrist shots, like slaps. It didn't matter. But what it did to the fans is it said Charlo's under pressure. And it started to prime that idea in the head that maybe Charlo hasn't got this fight. But if you ask Charlo, was it a hard fight? Probably not his hardest fight. I think what happened is you start to realize this Castano guy's not going away. So then Jamal Charla had to turn it up and he had to impose himself on the second half of that fight. And then into the final quarter, you could see the pressure telling and Castano had probably drained himself. That was probably the best version that he could do for the first nine rounds. And then in the championship rounds, he started to fade a bit. And so when you're watching Charlo all the way down to the, to the stretch, you're looking going, Mm, a draw's not bad because I look at it and I go, okay, there's nine rounds. Charlo might have won the last three, right? Those first nine where people say Castano still had his energy about him, he can't have won all nine. Okay, how many did he win? Eight. So now it's an eight-four fight. Seven. Seven-five fight. Six. Not unreasonable because some of those nine rounds were tight. So you can end up at a draw, and I'm not against that. You definitely can't end up at 117, 111 for Charlo because you'd be rewarding boxing IQ too much. You'd be rewarding you know, the quality of the shots too much and not recognizing that Brian Castano was able to make life miserable in there for Jamal Charlo. So the draw gives you drama and it gives you a talking point. And what it does is it puts more money in the rematch. Because now we want to see justice served one way or the other. I think you see a different version of Charlo. I don't know if Castano survives the rematch. Because I think Charlo's got to go out and dominate the first four rounds. Because he's not a guy who, who's going to get you with movement. He's not a guy who's going to get you with timing. In fact, the reverse was true in that fight. Castano had him on the timing. But what Charlo is going to do is he's going to break you down physically. And I think he forgot that for large parts of that fight. But not normally a fan of immediate rematches, would love to see that fight again. Would absolutely love it. Because I saw people losing their mind in that fight. You know, oh, the judges should be sacked, this, that, and the third. But I said, actually, look, at times where it's easy to be negative, let's applaud the fact that two guys went for undisputed and it's given us something where we want to see it straight back. That's what makes boxing good is the fact that there's a fight where we're talking about it, but it was a hell of a fight. It wasn't, it wasn't your standard matchroom zone kind of one-sided bore fest, which, look, let's give thanks for that. But the aftermath has raised the question about how good are the Charlo brothers? I think, and here's my controversial view, I think the Charlo brothers have massively overachieved in boxing. If you look at what they do, their skill sets aren't great. Fundamentally sound. Have, have a decent sense of timing between them. 
But what they do have is physicality. And they have chins. And so they've been able to muscle their way in into boxing at middleweight and junior middleweight. They've been able to muscle their way in and say, you're going to have to get rid of us. Whether it's Canelo, whether it's Tony Harrison, whether it's um, Gay Brasado, it doesn't matter. You're going to have to get rid of us. Because I saw Terence Crawford piped up and said, Jamal Charla, that's the reason you're not on the pound for pound list. And then I thought, Crawford's record is nowhere near as good as Jamal Charles. He, he doesn't hold as many belts. Has he been undisputed? Yes. But he fought a Julius Ndonga who was massively overrated. He fought a Victor Postel who was also massively overrated too. Yeah, yes, I said that. Victor Postel was massively overrated. And I'm not going to sit here and listen to the boxing aficionados say, no one ever did that to Victor Postel before. Victor Postel wasn't really the guy, whatever anyone says. So when you look at Crawford's record, it's hollow. At least Charles got names like Gabriel Sardo on there. Guys who are, if not physically bigger than him, at least his size physically and experience-wise, a lot more experienced. I'm not saying Gabriel Sardo is the level of a Victor Postol, but for where Charles was in his career, then yeah. Castano. Castano's basically a bigger Maidana, and Terence Crawford doesn't have a Maidana on his record. Not at 147, the division he claims to rule. Doesn't have a Tony Harrison. Doesn't have an Austin Trout. And so Terence Crawford taking shots at Jamal Charles seems a bit disingenuous to me. But I understand it's, the, it's what tough men do. They're both tough men, tough hard men. And if Crawford were to step up to 154, I think he'd have a newfound respect for what Jamal Charles, Jamal Charles is capable of. I genuinely think that. But, so now you look at these two brothers and you say, if they've massively overachieved, why don't they get the love they deserve? I think that sort of confidence scares people. I think the fact that they show no, they don't show you a softer side. Almost like Crawford. And maybe it's why Crawford doesn't make money. Crawford never shows you a softer side. But he also doesn't play up his bad side enough, if you see what I mean. Like, you rarely see Crawford in scuffles at weigh-ins or fights. Or it's rare. He, he keeps himself to himself and he conducts himself like a, like a solid family man, like, like they all do. But we like our villains to have a bit of darkness about them. That's what we love in boxing. Our villains have to have a bit of darkness about them. We want to feel unsafe in their company but also know that they're going to entertain us. And I think that's what the Charlos are missing. They're missing that real nasty menace that we know that they probably have. They just don't share it enough with the boxing community. But I took in the post-fight press conference and, you know, I found it really interesting because it highlights something that I think has become really dangerous in boxing. Because any man and his dog can seemingly get a press pass and ask questions at a boxing event, a sign of its, probably of its decline that you don't get the serious journalists you know, provided to the event. You get some of these guys asking questions, and I'd, I'll play a clip in a second. I don't know who asked the question, but it was someone who clearly had no understanding of, of boxing, no sense of perspective about what hard fights really are and what makes something a hard fight. Because someone looks busy in the ring, it doesn't mean it's a hard fight. 
Was Maidana a hard fight for Mayweather? Not harder than Miguel Cotto. Not harder than Canelo. Not harder than Oscar. But people say Cotto gave Floyd his hardest... Um, sorry, Maidana gave Floyd his hardest fight. No, he didn't. And here's why he didn't. The level of boxing IQ Miguel Cotto has means that everything Miguel Cotto does has an extra 20% above average because there's purpose, there's accuracy, there's experience behind it. It's not hit and hope, like, like seems to be the Argentinian style. So you have to have a sense of perspective on this. Is Castano better than Tony Harrison? I don't know. I'd quite like to see that fight, actually. But Tony Harrison... Another guy who, who can go, but he has that intellect behind him. And he has that, that, kind of, that sort of fundamental strength. There were bits in that fight, I saw Castano, and he looked really novicey. But what he seemed to have was an engine, a chin, and an ability to just throw hands. But, excuse me, let me just touch on this, this interview because it left me feeling uncomfortable. Like I don't, I don't like people giving boxing journalism a bad name. And I, think so, and I think sometimes what you end up having to do is, is check some of these guys and say, well, actually, maybe you shouldn't be asking the questions. Maybe we can't trust you. I'm better to show everyone what we really have. And I think it's clear now that Brian Castano is by far the best guy you've ever fought. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he was in control for a lot of the early part of the fight. Obviously, if you dug down deep and landed those big shots in round 10, to turn the tide. But how much better do you think you can become now that you fought someone like this? I don't think he was the best fighter he ever fought. Derek, go ahead. Even though you, went, you didn't ask me a question, I don't think he was the best fighter he ever fought. He only had... Who's better than him? He only had his way when he... Who was Jamel, better than me? Wait, 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 wait. He only had his way when Jamel stayed in one spot on the ropes. And tried, I mean, doing this. Other than that, he, was, he really wasn't... He's not the best fighter he ever fought. I think Tony Harrison was probably better than him. Tony Harrison did better than Brian Castagna? Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah listen, man, what you talking about? He only, the shots he was throwing, bro, he was you not need to go back and look at the fighters that we fighting, bro. We're not fighting low caliber that fighters. That guy, that guy, this is me, Mike. Mike, listen to me, Mike. You kept him out of the game, man. Simple as that. And you watch boxing, you know him. Tony Harrison will beat him. What the fuck you talking about? See, these journalists have to get their shit together. Like they, they really have to, to start focusing and zeroing in on on what you're asking someone in the immediate aftermath of a fight. Like, you, you're showing no respect to the record. Because what happens is, look, you watch a fight, you see someone like Castano perform better than you expected. So you imbue him with this halo of, oh my God, this guy's brilliant. But actually, it might just be that Charlo had an off night. It looked like Charlo had just had an off night and he was fighting within himself. <laughs> I don't think boxers should be doing that in general. And I think that's probably something as a trainer you want to be clamping down on immediately because you don't want to go to the 12 if you don't have to. It, it, it brings in too much risk. But it is. Like, I sit there and I watch these outlets and the, the kind of laddish interview stuff is cool and responding to gossip, they seem okay at, but they can never break down fights. Like People like Rob Tebbett have no idea. Coogan, no idea. Michelle Joy Phelps, no idea. Because they don't think about boxing scientifically. They don't have to. 
you know I mean? They worry about lighting. They worry about what the audio is going to sound like. You know, what's how it's going to get views. And that's fine. There's a place for that in this ecosystem. But they don't break fights down and fights down scientifically because they're not paid to do that. It, it doesn't give them any intrinsic rewards to do that. And I wish sometimes these guys have a bit more respect for what these guys are doing in the ring. And that's not to say that you shouldn't call out fights that were terrible, but you can't disrespect what Tony Harrison did. Like Tony Harrison, I mean, that hell of a performance twice over, in fact. And then he was equally vocal about the Charlo fight, talking about, you know, it still calls him the little bitch. So maybe those guys have one more fight left in them. But it points an interesting dilemma for Jamal Charlo, because if he does fight Castano again and beats him, you're now undisputed at 154. Do you go up to 160? And if you do, it never felt right having two Charlo brothers at 154. So one went up to 160. Are you going to have both at 160? Or will Jamal move up to 168? I don't know. But it doesn't seem that there's an appetite amongst them to do so. So then what happens? Do you have another go round with guys like Lubin? Do you then wait for other guys to step up? Will someone like a Benavides Jr. step up to 154? And if he is, is he any good? Because we weren't overwhelmed with his performance against Crawford. You can write the Brits off. The Brits definitely aren't going to, you know, they're not going to trouble a Charlo. Like, they, they'll get hurt badly in those sorts of fights. You can't put someone like Fowler in with a Jamal Charlo at 154. It's just, it's not going to end well. But it was, it was good to see a good old-fashioned scrap. Like, that felt like a fight from the 80s. And I just wish we could get that in the United Kingdom again instead of these silly cards we're seeing at Birmingham and Eddie Hearn's fight camp, which are all money grabs for which the fans are paying generously. You know, I have a big campaign at the moment for us to just delete the apps. Maybe it's time we just delete boxing for a bit until they give us what we deserve. In reasons to be optimistic and patriotic, the Olympic boxing tournament starts, I think it's Saturday. So of the 18 days of the Olympics, 15 will have boxing. Now, I don't expect any of you apart from the super duper hardcores like Jamie Ingleby to be watching more than three or four, you know, key athletes in that. So I thought, let me strip it down so you can get some people to get behind and get excited. So we've got to start with the people who... Who we expect to get golds, or not expect, but if, if we were going to get golds from the boxing and there were going to be Brits involved, who would they be? And I always come down to three names, Ben Whitaker, Pat McCormack, Lauren Price. And I just go, you know, they should all get at least a silver. Lauren Price, what an amazing story, but what an absolute savage in the ring. He, there's something you can't teach people, and it's that inner dog, and she's got that. You know where someone, you look at her and you're like, I bet you drank sugar water, you know what I mean, those last three days before payday. You know, sometimes you ran into the news agents, nicked a few bags of sweets because you just needed the, the sugar. Maybe you had to walk to training because you didn't have no bus fare. And you know when you've been through that, that kind of grind and you're in a boxing ring and you say to yourself, this doesn't hurt as much as that did. And she fights like that. She fights like she's escaping something. And I like that. You know, she's got that real devil in her when she boxes without losing her technique. So it's almost this kind of business-like approach. 
You know, like literally someone's just stood in the way of my dream. And I know this gold medal will be important to her. And can you imagine a Welsh Olympic gold medalist? Like she's Wales as Katie Taylor if she gets that gold medal. Except maybe better because I think 75 is tricky because you get everyone in there. Lauren Price isn't the tallest. In fact, she's shorter than Karis Artingstall, right? If I remember correctly. And so you can be up against someone like an Anna Laurel Nash, who's now retired, but Anna was six foot one. And Lauren can be in there. So you've really got to have that inner pit bull in you. Like, you know, looking just to just get stuck in. And she's got that. And it looks like she can sustain it over the course of a tournament because a lot of people burn out, you know. A lot of people, you know, they have that one fight, they feel really good about themselves. And then it's like, oh God, what next? She hasn't got that in her. So she, after Ben Whitaker, she's our most likely gold. Ben, Ben's the matrix. He, it's like, <laughs> I always look at Ben, like, it's, it's like someone gave him every move his opponent's going to do the night before and he just memorized it and went, okay, this is what we're going to do. The way he makes people miss without it feeling like he's showboating, but it still looks like he's showboating. Is brilliant because when you showboat, like you kind of lose a couple of seconds, but he'll do it, but he'll punish you. And there's this real malicious streak in him. So I remember like we'd speak a lot when he was making the move from 75 to 81. And I was like, well, the power carry. And his response was, you'll see the power at 81. And I was like, he wasn't wrong. And when he beat that Mullenberg guy who Josh beat in the Olympics, that's when I knew he was real. I knew he was real. And you look at him, footwork on point, control of distance, amazing. Hands up, hands down, it doesn't bother him. He's so fluid in attack. He's the least British type boxer. And credit to GB for not ruining him. But you can see he boxes within himself in the amateurs. I'd love to see him as a pro. And hopefully as a pro, we see more of this, like the destruction. Because he's a real deal. If his chin holds up in the pros, Ben Whittaker's a real deal. You don't even have to put a battery in the kid's back. He'll promote the life out of himself. So look out for Ben Whitaker. So make sure you tune in. Uh, set, your, set your screen, your timer for him and Lauren Price. And then Pat McCormack as well. Similar to Ben, but maybe a bit more fundamental in how he does things. But he's got moments where he can make people look stupid too. Him and his twin brother, Luke. I think Pat for a gold, Luke for like a bronze, maybe a silver. They're the ones I'm most excited about. Caroline Dubois, yes. But if she gets Katie, Kelly Harrington again, it might get tricky because I'm a big Kelly fan and Kelly's a friend. And I hope Kelly turns pro at some point because I think she'd be a good addition. She's a class act, funny, interesting. I remember she used to box up for the, the Glasnevin Club in Dublin. Um, yeah, class act she is. Caroline, plenty of time. You know, if she does get the gold, fantastic. She'll be a star. But 60's hard. Um, I'm trying to think, who else is there to keep an eye out for? Who else can you get excited about in terms of, we're going to watch them in the Olympics and then watch them cause havoc in the pros? And then, I'm trying to think, Badahir Jalilov's a guy I'm really buzzing about as well. Six foot, was he six seven, six eight? Southpaw. As a pro, none of his opponents have gone the distance. And in the amateurs, 
like you've seen him starch people, like savagely starch people. If he has a good Olympics as a pro, I think you're going to see him fast-tracked. Um, he's Uzbek, so hard to sell. So I think he's a guy you've just got to have like, like you had Effie Jagba. You've just got to have him in the US and hope he takes, takes off on TV. He's going to be up against Fraser Clark. And I don't think Fraser is a... He's definitely not out of this race. Because remember, for Fraser, this is like, what, 10, 11 years? that he's won to this moment. So it's a now or never moment for him. I'm hoping his back can hold up because I know he's got some back complaints. And I hope that the tournament box is not going to take it out of him because he had to qualify. I think in qualifying, he beat the Croatian kid, uh, Marko Milun, who's now going to turn pro. And that's going to be interesting because not a big heavyweight at six three and a half, but fundamentally sound, it can box. So hopefully he's got a chance as well. So I think they're the ones, broadly speaking, that I think should garner the most headlines. I haven't mentioned the Americans because they never seem to have good Olympic games. So we'll tend to talk about them afterwards. You know, 2016 proved that. But yeah, from Saturday, you get to see the future of the boxing world. So, you know, start getting behind your guys now. Man. You might have to start following them early on Instagram, get those interviews and those exclusives while you've got the chance. But yeah, that's what I'm probably most excited about in terms of the athletes competing. Top of the tree is easily Ben Whitaker for me. But that's just for the fact that I've been following this guy for like six or seven years and thought he was special then and I think he's special now. I'm going to finish off by asking a question. Um, what the hell's going on at Wasserman? I don't, I don't get the signings. I think they announced... God, what are the names? It's, it's Harvey Horn. Is it Chloe Watson? And some kid called, I want to say Matthew Harris. Now, I mean, number one, you're the Sowlands, right? Let's be clear about this. You are the Sowlands. And so you should have access and insight into who the real talents are coming through. I think Harvey Horn's had his chance. Is he talented? Yes. But he turned pro in 2017. He's had eight fights. That's a red flag. Like a lack of consistency and a lack of progression always a warrior. I don't know who he's being trained by, but I think Mark Tibbs tried to do something with him. Probably small hall plus at best. I think realistically a year from now, we'll say he's definitely small hall. Um, Chloe Watson, nothing against Ricky Hatton. I just believe that whenever someone's trained by Ricky Hatton, they're not going to be any good. Simple as that. Um, this, uh, Ricky Hatton, Jamie Moore, it's the same curse from two different people. Yeah, why, why, why not just go to Joe Gallagher? I don't understand. Like his stable's bumping at the moment. And on a side note, if you can catch Porky's video with Joe Gallagher, it's brilliant. I think I am going to blow my friend's trumpet. Jeez, I shouldn't have said that. I'm going to keep it in there. I want to blow the trumpet for my friend and say, when Russ gets the camera and just asks the right questions, he gets really good content for his fans. So the Joe Gallagher one is definitely worth listening into. I think Joe's interesting. Like I said, I don't think Joe talks enough about this new chapter and how he's moved things forward because everything seems different in the gym. Maybe having Crawler in there has given him fresh ideas and so forth. But I'd like to see Joe be more vocal about that because that's an education piece for fans as well and for future trainers coming up. But... She could go there. And then you've got this big six foot eight lad. He's 20 years old. So 
I'm, it's a tricky one. When someone's 20 years old, I don't know if I want them going into the heavyweight game straight away. So hopefully they've kind of got him and they'll track him as he goes through the amateur system. That's what I'm hoping. But then I'm also not because I've got Courtney Bennett in there as well. And, you know, I'm always going to be biased towards him. And there's Delicious in there as well. So this kid's got to prove himself. More importantly, I think at six foot eight, you've got to be special because the, the physics are all wrong. Like you're, you're liable to, to be a David Price at that height unless you've got something magical about you. But let's see what they do with the signings. I'm not impressed at the moment. It doesn't seem worth the paper it's written on. And if you're a Sky exec, that's not really filling you with much joy. And as a boxing fan, if that's what you're paying your Sky subscription for, whew, good luck to you. Um, on the subject of big guys, I just want to also say good luck on his real debut to George Fox, fighting under Queensbury now. 6'7", what's he, 121, 122 kilos got all the charm, all the charisma, all the character, got all the ingredients to be a good heavyweight. All I can say in this case is I hope he's learned his lessons from everything up until this point and he realises fans do not care if a heavyweight's got silky skills if he can't stop people. Like, you can only ever use your skills to stop someone. Outboxing, nah, stop him. Especially early in your career. So I'm hoping he gets that stoppage win I hope he comes out like a savage and all the hunger is there. And I hope he gives a good account of himself. And, you know, been training with his old man, Don Charles, and I wish them all the best. I really hope he has a great career. Because the more quality big men we have in this country, the more money everyone makes. And on that note, I'll sign off and say, listen, have a great week, guys. Um, Freedom Day. You can finally listen to this without any masks. You can do whatever you want. Go out there. I mean, make this country proud. Enjoy. Bye. good husband you know what I mean what you know what I mean? I'm just a man out here trying to enjoy my I, I was born poor I ain't never had nothing man. I don't know how to act all right but the real thing is I'm just I'm just here to be me I don't care what uh, you, you think know what I am or who, or who anyone thinks I am um, at this stage of my life but um yeah I'm a pretty much of a tyrant titan yeah that's who I am